To the Capital Weekly podcast, I am Rich Eisen. Uh, I know many of you for years have been tuning in and used to hearing John Howard uh, give this intro. So this is my first time giving this intro. So, uh, hey, Tim, how are you doing? I'm Rich. I'm well. Thank you. Of course, that's Tim Foster here, our partner in crime at Capital Weekly. Um, we're going to be joined here today uh, by Dan Moraine who has been doing some fabulous work for us on oral histories for our oral history program, including one recently with former state Senator Richard Polanco, who many people uh, recognize as being one of the driving forces for uh, dramatically increasing the amount of uh, Latino representation in the legislature. And uh, Dan and I had the pleasure. We were down uh, a few months ago in L.A. uh, there uh, to have that conversation. And, you know, it was a really interesting one. So we thought we would have Dan come on today. And, you know, that oral history is live now. You can go find it right on our website and you can uh, listen to it for yourself. But to get some backstory on all this, uh, let's say welcome to the great Dan Moraine. How are you doing this morning, Dan? All good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Great. Well, you know, uh, now Polanco was a suggestion by you. I mean, you know, you you covered the man for a very long time. And as you noted right from the beginning, it wasn't always uh, the most collegial uh, relationship. I mean, it never is between reporters and subjects. But tell tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your thoughts on Richard Polanco as a as a figure here worthy of, of being part of the solar history recordings. Sure. Well, so I, I was with the LA Times, uh, and and as as an LA Times reporter covering uh, the Capitol, covering the legislature, um, I, I made it my point to to get to know as many of the LA legislators as I could, and and you, and Polanco was was key to all that. He was incredibly active. He was going a mile a minute, wheeling and dealing, butting heads with Pete Wilson. This is in the uh, early mid 1990s, and he really emerged as uh, as a power player uh, in 1994 and and in the few years after that, um, uh, when he set out to recruit uh, Latinos to run for office, ran them in primaries if they if they won in 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 the primaries, they were sure to win in the in the general elections. I mean, he he truly was the architect of. Latino power in the legislature in the 90s and that carries on to this day. Fascinating figure. Yeah, he was. I it, it was it's a it's really it was really interesting too listening to uh the background stuff, you know, from uh, cuz he came out of a pretty tough environment down there, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, not something that that he uh, talked about at at great length, but but this is a guy who grew up in in East LA, uh, in, in Maravilla, tough neighborhood, a lot of gangs. He was uh, he avoided that, getting involved in the boys' club and in sports. Not a very tall guy, but he played basketball and he was a pole pole vaulter. He talks about all that. He talks about his work as uh, trying to to help uh, people he knew, people he grew up with uh, in the neighborhood, not go into gangs. Um, he was a community organizer. Met Cesar Chavez ran boycotts of a of a grocery store uh in the neighborhood uh, uh in, in support 
of of uh, Chavez's movement. You know, just a, an an interesting guy, son of a of a man who worked at two jobs in a foundry and in a bakery. Uh, his mother, he told me I didn't realize this. His mother married first when she was age 14, can you imagine? Uh, grew up speaking Spanish in the house, and when he went to school, would get punished if people spoke Spanish in, in public school. So, you know, very different time. Uh, he's uh, 71 when we spoke. So this is, uh, you know, this is growing up as uh, Polanco as, as, as a kid in the 1960s. Uh, up through high school, and I think 1969 is when he graduated from high school. Anyway, uh, really uh, up from uh, very little to, to become one of the most interesting uh, figures in, in uh, California politics in the 1990s and early 2000s. Were you surprised during that time? I mean, like I say, you covered him for a long time, and you certainly covered uh, California legislature for a long time. Were you ever were you surprised to see Polanco become as influential a lawmaker as he became? You know, no, because he was always, he was um, very aggressive, very active. I mean, this is, this was his thing. This was his calling. He was, he was really good at recruiting people, at getting them to run, finding people who are talented uh, and who had a good resume, Marta Scutia. Was one Georgetown graduate of uh, Georgetown Law School graduate. Louis Caldera was another West Point, Harvard. Uh, you know, and people with impressive resumes, people who could win in districts that were not Latino. Liz Figueroa uh, ran in, uh, from Fremont. I don't think that was particularly viewed, certainly not at that time, as being a, a Latino district. Um, and he he rose, uh, like I say, from very little to, to become the architect of, of, uh, of the rise of the Latino caucus in the legislature. The LA Times in 1999, I helped do a story with, um, with uh, Ted Roerlich, um, called, uh, called him the, the, the man behind the Latino machine. He, he truly was. And he was successful at it. So now this was the, uh, the era of Prop 187. And here you have someone who's growing Latino power and building a Latino you know, political machine. And on the other side, you had the Republicans who were vilifying Mexican people in California. And can you talk about that? How, you know, obviously he was, he was engaged there. Can you talk about that and maybe how, how his relationship was with, with Governor Wilson, et cetera? Oh, his relationship was, was <laughs> to say the least fraught with, with Governor Wilson. Um, uh, you know, Prop 187 was an initiative that's, that sought to cut all public funding for a- anything having to do with, with uh, people who were here with, without uh, legal documentation. So that could be kids in, in uh, public schools. It could be old folks in nursing homes. Um, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a, a brutal initiative. It passed overwhelmingly, and, uh, and the courts ultimately struck it down. Uh, but in California, what it did was it energized a whole generation of, of Latino legislators, whether they were immigrants or not. Polanco was born in L.A., uh, but his parents were. Uh, his, his mother was from, from Mexico. His father came over from Texas. So it, it, it really affected politics. So Alex Padilla, now U.S. senator, uh, was energized by Prop 187. Um, 
you know, I mean, just a, a whole generation of, of Latino legislators, uh, Democrats. And, you know, Polanco used that uh, wisely, shrewdly. Uh, to, he understood what was what was going on. One of the things that I found interesting in this um, in our oral history is 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 he attributed much of the rise to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan signed the Immigration Reform Act, um, which basically was a pathway to citizenship for for uh, people who lived here for years and were following the rules and were working. Well, one of the things that Polanco saw in, in that was, was that if these folks became citizens, they could start voting and start voting and helping to elect uh, a new generation of, of leaders. And, um, and, and so one of the things he points out in this interview is, uh, is that uh, Pete Wilson didn't fund uh, some of these centers for immigration and and one one of his big fights was was to get was to get these folks citizenship. Um, that helped ultimately with with the um, you know what what we have today in California, which is you know Latinos, pretty influential group of voters. You know, Dan, one of the things that I I always find interesting in these things because you know he did also talk about how uh there wasn't always unanimous support for particular candidates you know there's always these rivalries even within parties for who's going to run for an open seat or what have you you know I, I was a little fascinated with how he emerged as that guy as the one who who was able to drive that bus and and you know be the one pushing this i mean he certainly wasn't the only one but he was certainly i don't know do you attribute that a lot to to the force of will, force of personality, uh, you know, what, how is it that he did emerge as this particular guy? I mean, you mentioned a little bit of it before, but I mean, there were lots of people who would like to have been the architect, but he was the architect. Well, he, I mean, I think he had the vision. I think he had the vision that this, that, that, that he could do this. I mean, you know, I don't think, People view Polanco as a heavyweight policy guy. I don't think he was a policy walk, uh, particularly at all. But uh, but he but he was very good at politics. Uh, he he was very good at raising money to to help fund these campaigns. Um, and the people he brought uh, to the legislature became some of them became you know quite influential in policy. Marta Scutia. Uh, carried some really far-reaching legislation relating to healthcare. Louis Caldera was uh, chair of a committee subcommittee that that dealt with with uh, gun violence. Um, some of the bills he couldn't get over the couldn't get signed, uh, uh, but uh, you know he left and went off to work in the Clinton administration. Uh, but Polanco carried, uh, you know, one of the bills that came out of that far-reaching bill, the bill to uh, prohibit the sale of uh, so-called Saturday night specials, these cheap handguns that, that uh, this is legislation that, that Wilson had vetoed uh, when Gray Davis was elected 1998-1999. Polanco carried this bill that he that Davis signed that that prohibited the sale of these these guns that couldn't pass a drop test so you drop them from a certain height and if they went off well that that was a, a defective product and so he he carried legislation that was basically consumer safety legislation product 
safety legislation. And uh, uh, and the, you know, these were guns that were that were manufactured in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles, Orange County, uh, half a dozen or so factories down there, and they all ended up shutting down, uh, moving to another state. He didn't really much mind the loss of those jobs because what they were building were, were these guns that were uh, inordinately used in crime. Um, and uh, you know, it's I and for my money, his most far-reaching legislation. You know, one thing I didn't know uh, going into that was how influential he was in uh, bringing more Latinos into the third house, into the lobbying corps he, uh, in Sacramento. Maybe talk a little bit about that, too. Yeah, so, so um, you know, the third house, the, lo- the lobby uh, corps in Sacramento was dominated by white guys. Um, uh and, uh, you know, he made a point of saying, well, you know, I'll listen to your argument, but I, I want to I see I want to see some diversity in uh, in your ranks. And, you know, it, it I, I think that had an effect. I think that that lobbyists, smart people who they are, wanted to uh, wanted to be able to connect to, you know, the chair of the Latino caucus um, and and made a point of diversifying their rank not not a bad idea uh, if you if you want to get your bills passed um one of the things that i found interesting about him was his his fundraising he he was one of the main uh one of the first early people to see the potential power of indian uh, casinos and and he uh helped them uh, he, he helped some of the tribal leaders. He talks about uh, convening, uh, uh, having a meeting in his office with, with some of the uh, most um, uh, influential, brightest uh, tribal chairs, uh, Richard Milanovic of Agua Caliente, Anthony Pico of Viejas down San Diego, and, and others, and, and uh, counseled them that, that they would have to go to the ballot if they were going to um, win the right to have uh, Vegas-style casinos, and uh, he was right. Uh, and they helped him. They helped him by providing a, a lot of money, uh, campaign money, to uh, him and to other uh, Latino, other people he supported uh, uh, running for office. Dean Flores, uh, state legislator from uh, Shafter, uh, was one. A uh, bunch of others. Tony Cardenas was certainly one uh, from uh, Pacoima, now a member of Congress. Um, so the, he helped them uh, ultimately when when they gained success uh, commercially. They they helped him. He's also credited with helping elevate Cruz Bustamante. Is that is that correct? Is that something? You oh, talk? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks about he talks about Bustamante and. Uh, in Bustamante's uh, first election in our interview. Um, uh, one of the things that, that he, uh, you know, it's, he's, he's one, of the, one of the individuals who, who, uh, who Polanco uh, helped. Certainly Denise Duchenne, uh, who became budget chair, was very influential from San Diego. She, she's another one. But Bustamante, you know, becoming, becoming assembly speaker was, was a huge deal. You know, first Latino was, speaker, right? Yeah. Um, well, okay, so correct me here. 
was he was he was assembly minority leader when Kurt Pringle became speaker. So that would have been 95. And then I guess he became speaker and you're gonna to have to help me. I'm I'm I've got a in in 96, right? Anyway, when did um, Via Ragosa become speaker? Uh, that was later. Yeah, that 98, was 98, maybe. Anyway, yeah. you'll have to you'll have to correct me on, on the dates here. Uh, anyway, but yeah, Bustamante becomes a very influential person. Marta Scudia, you know, came within a hair's breadth of becoming president of Pro Tem. Uh, she didn't. Uh, Don Parada uh, beat her out. Nobody knows exactly what that vote was, but it might have only been, you know, by one legislator. Um, it was a secret ballot. Um, and Polanco talks about that too, um, in, in the sort sort of how uh, his understanding of how that came to be. You know, one of the interesting things that that Polanco talks about is uh, is is prisons, the rise of prisons. So um, early in his career, in fact, his first vote was a vote that became very controversial uh, in, in Los Angeles, East Los Angeles. Um, there was a, uh, this was in the Duke Mason administration. Uh, the, the state wanted to build a prison in, in Los Angeles County somewhere. And uh, there was gonna be a prison that was gonna be built, uh, proposed for, for the east side of LA. And uh, Polanco's first vote in the legislature was in favor of, of, of that prison. Now, exactly where it was going to be cited, um, I don't know. It, was, you know. it wasn't clear to me. It was not a story I covered. Uh, but he took a huge amount of uh, heat for that. Gloria Molina, who was his rival politically um, uh, uh, for, for years and years, was on the opposite side of that. As he progressed through the legislature, though, he became just a, a very tough critic of, of the rise of the, the power of the, of the correction, California Correctional Peace Officers Association and the expansion of California prisons. He became, he was, um, uh, he butted heads repeatedly with the head of the prisons, uh, prison officers union, Don Novi. And here's uh, where we insert the, the, the promotion that we actually also have an oral history posted at capitalweekly.net uh, of Don Novi. So if you yeah. want to get the other side of the story, you can uh, you can watch there. So anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so he and Novi really did butt heads, and um, one of the one of the big issues involved um, uh, in the middle 1990s, there was a federal indictment of of officers from uh, Corcoran State Prison. Uh, for staging what what was uh, called gladiator fights, well, the 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 officers were acquitted, uh, but they had huge legal bills, and uh, and Polanco uh, heard that the state was going to pay for those legal bills, and tells the story of him going to then pro tem John Burton. Uh, demanding that that the state not pay this, that it come out of the, I assume the the uh, the union's uh, pocket, not the not the taxpayer's pocket, and he ended up getting that money removed, um, and talks about a confrontation with with Don Novi uh, in the rotunda of the Capitol. It's kind of it's, it's I think makes for colorful listening, uh, and not a story that I had heard during my. Uncovering the legislature. I, I'm going to guess 
that Don Novi will not be one person who will watch the Polanco <laughs> oral history recording. Uh, that was fascinating, though. I had never heard that story either. Um, I, I'm going to reiterate to everybody that the, uh, the actual oral history is live. It's on the site right now. I want to say thanks uh, to Dan Moraine. I, I've got to watch Dan work twice now, once, once with Novi and once with Polanco. They, so um, really fascinating watching, watching you do the job, Dan. And uh, uh, two very, very different people coming from very, very different perspectives. And, uh, you know, uh, it was a real joy watching you do it. So, hey, good job. And I encourage everybody, go, go listen, go watch, because it's, it's really worth your time. Well, I, I had a great time. I mean, he's a, a very interesting guy in California history. And, and uh, you know, my wild guess, Rich, is Mr. Novi will watch it. <laughs> he might. <laughs> he might, actually, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, and just for, for the record, yes, Antonio Villaraigosa became speaker in 1998. So as, as always, Dan, your, your memory is sharp. You were, on, you were right on cue there. So that's excellent. Well, Villaraigosa would be a, a, a great subject for, for, for one of these interviews as well. He, he was a fascinating guy in the legislature and not part of the Polanco operation. He was not, in, in fact, Villaraigosa beat. Polanco's uh, won his assembly seat by beating Bill Maybe, who was uh, very close to to Polanco. Um, uh, Viragosa, uh, obviously, his politics and Polanco's politics are, are are quite similar, but their but their political pedigree is is different. They came up, uh, they they were political rivals. Well, thanks again, Dan. Uh, I'd like to say I encourage everybody to go check it out. It was it was fascinating to watch, and I'm sure it'll be fascinating. Uh, for all of you, see the video. Uh, so, Dan, I don't know if you care to join us, but we uh, each week we we do a segment at the end of the show called "Who Had the Worst Week in California Politics." Yes, well, it's my favorite part of every show. So. Oh, well, <laughs> yes, I'm glad. we love to hear that. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. So, so Dan, who do you think had the worst week in California politics? <sighs> Well, you know, there, there are a few to choose from. Um, you know, I have to say uh, the owner of the, of the gallery in San Francisco, Mr. Gwynn, uh, who was caught on video praying the, the, the poor homeless woman um, and now is facing charges over there. Um, uh, I, I got to say, he had a pretty uh, miserable week. He brought it on himself. It also gets, though, to the point of, of how I think frustrated people are with homelessness. The guy has apologized. You know, evidently the the woman who was um, the woman he sprayed is 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 maybe now getting help. It's kind of sad that it had to uh, become a national story before before uh, uh, she got help. But I guess now she's getting some help. Uh, this guy, though, is going to. You know he's 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 got criminal charges pending against him. You know another one who had a miserable week. I gotta say is uh, Bill. Uh, I don't know how if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Bill and Kate Duhamel, who are uh, San Francisco campaign donors, um, who, who uh, as the San Francisco Standard points out, donated eleven thousand six hundred to dollars to George Santos's successful 2022 campaign. 
they're feeling pretty bad about that. Well, San Francisco right. donating to George Santos. That's uh, well, that's there you go for a field. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, the, you know, it's the, it's uh, the thing I love about the worst week is it's always some good competition. I'll give you some competition. Uh, we were talking about this before. Uh, again, not really a political figure, but um, certainly, certainly Alec Baldwin had a pretty bad week. Uh, turns out he is going to be or has been charged with involuntary manslaughter uh, in the death of somebody on the set of his film Rust. And the connection, I suppose, here to California politics is that uh, there were a couple bills last year that were all about increasing safety on film sets. Uh, they didn't really go anywhere, but in the wake of him being charged, uh, State Senator uh, Dave Cortese has voiced his intention to reintroduce that legislation uh, this year. So uh, Alec Baldwin is going to be the focal point of um, maybe has been made the face of all things dangerous on film sets in California. So um certainly we've seen him as the face of a lot of things over the years uh political he's threatened to run for mayor of new york we all of course know his portrayal of trump on saturday night live he's a very outspoken uh political commentator from 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 his world so i'd say his week was pretty bad you know uh tragically right. this so is, this has been a uh a week where we had more options than we knew what to do with this you know bad for, what is it it's an ill wind that blows no good uh this all blew really good for us we had a lot of options also uh former city councilman jose huizar from la uh is, is going to plead i guess on a 1.5 million dollar bribery charge he's looking at somewhere between nine and 13 years now he probably won't serve that entire time but that's what he would be convicted on he has to be having a really bad week i mean this is a, a consummation of only a bad year, but uh, but that's really bad. That that announcement came. Uh, I think I just saw that news yesterday. And then also the the person that I thought was a contender for worst week early on in the week, and then seems to have been swept away with all this other news, is a person whose name I, I'm afraid I'm probably going to mispronounce because I've never heard it. I've only seen it. But uh, Udwak Joe Took, who is the California State oil and gas supervisor, or he was until he resigned. Uh, so, you know, I had thought he might be a really good candidate, you know, when Monday, but uh, you know, he's been swept to the side. So I don't know. Who do you, who do you think of all of them had the worst week? I don't know how you top getting charged with crimes. So for me, that's right up there. Uh, I know Dan and I, we, we talked also about Kevin Cooper a uh, very famous uh, case here in California, uh, convicted felon, murderer, rapist, a truly bad guy, uh, but has been the subject of a lot of um, campaigns to call for new trials or to have his convictions overturned for various reasons, uh, drawn some very high profile celebrity support. Uh, that all went away this week. There's, there's, He's not getting out of jail anytime soon because uh, I think... I think uh, well, there was a report that basically said he he did it. Uh, right. That that his claims of innocence, which were taken up by uh, no less a, a figure than Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times. Well, you know this report, detailed report commissioned by uh, Gavin Newsom's um, administration. Newsom obviously is a death penalty opponent. Um, yet this report came back 
unequivocal that that uh, that the evidence points uh, to Kevin Cooper having committed this horrendous uh, quadruple murder yeah. uh, back in 1985. So Tim, I'm with you. There's an awful there's an awful lot of people who've had a very bad week, and you know, just going back to uh, uh, Mr. Huizar, you know, L.A. city government has been so impacted by corruption. It, you know, everybody that is involved, I think, feels those things. When they, when they happen, right? Even if you didn't do it or whatever, it's not you. It just makes it that much harder for you to do your job and people to trust you, right? So, you know, the guilt by association, you know, we all know a lot of times how folks these days feel about um, politicians anyway. Every time somebody actually lives down to that reputation, I think it makes it harder for everybody. So in a way that, that gets shared, you know, with everybody's everybody else who's trying to do their job the right way gets tainted with that same, you know, painted with that same broad brush. So yeah, a lot of a lot of folks had a had kind of a bad week. Yeah. Well, I guess we can we can cheat and we can allow our listeners to decide who they think. I mean, if it was me, I'd probably have to say that maybe uh we are. Uh, he's looking at a lot of time in jail. Cooper was already looking at a lot of time in jail. So I guess yeah. it would have been, you know, great if he could have been exonerated, but uh, he's already there. He was the likelihood, but he was going to stay there. Uh, but I don't know. He's would probably be my choice, but I'll leave it to, uh, I'll leave it to our listeners to, uh, to call their own picks. And if anyone ever has a suggestion, feel free to email us and let us know who you think had the worst week in California politics. Maybe we missed someone. Rob Krinky right now is dialing as we speak, I'm sure, telling us. <laughs> we who we give him a lot to, to chew on for sure, yes. Well, Dan, thank you so much for doing this. really good. And thank you so much for doing the oral history program. So can you tell us who's next on your uh, your list of people you want to well, get we're, oral histories? Yeah, well, we're trying to, trying to, you know, nail down a time with Governor Wilson. We'll see if we'll see if we can do that. He's a busy guy and, and uh, but, you know, we've been, Told that he's up for it so and i would love to do it i mean i think he's you know as few people as as uh, fascinating in california history as as uh mayor senator and governor wilson and assemblyman for that matter you know and uh just to be really transparent here i want to thank the california state library we got a grant from them uh some years ago actually to help start this program up and keep it going and it has been really wonderful to get these voices for California history that uh, in some cases have really not, not told their story. You know, I feel like uh, Rich Polanco is one of them where he's certainly a name that I think real insiders know, but a lot of people don't know the backstory. And uh, we're really glad to get him on the record. And uh, we look forward to continuing to do this. So thanks a lot to the State Library for, uh, for thinking that this was a worthwhile thing to do. We certainly enjoy it. Yeah, the State Library is a great institution. Agreed on all fronts. Hello to Alex Vassar, who comes up in, I'd say, every other podcast at least. We'll be, uh, we'd be mentioning Alex Vassar and his ridiculous knowledge of the state legislature. Uh, I, like, I can't imagine what else he does other than just memorize all these factoids. So, all right. Well, this has been a fun episode. Yes, until and, and next time. Rich, welcome aboard. You know, this is Rich's first uh, first full episode as a, as the editor of the Capitol Weekly. And uh, John Howard is still around. You know, we've kept him. He's actually going to be helping us administrate the oral history program. So he's still here, but he's not in the office every day. So welcome aboard, Rich. I am. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and working with great folks. So uh, I'm looking to keep doing more of the podcast. So keep tuning in. 
All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care, everybody. See ya. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.